our lesson tonight is the sixth lesson in our series looking at uh, the book of Zechariah. We'll be looking at Zechariah uh, chapter 8 uh, this evening. And I've entitled tonight's lesson, When Jehovah Returns. And this is not, as we're going to be looking at, not the idea of talking about the second coming, but as we're going to be looking at, looking at God returning to uh, Jerusalem. But we'll get some more of that here in just a moment. Zechariah chapter 8. I want to show the encouragement we can find from this chapter. We know last time we looked at uh, obedience and fasting, and uh, God actually is going to make a mention of uh, fasting yet again in chapter 8, uh, but we'll talk about that here a little bit. We will first begin by looking at a section I've entitled, simply entitled, The Return of Jehovah, and that's uh, Zechariah chapter 8, uh, really verses 1 uh, through about verse uh, 13 here. In Zechariah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we find Jehovah makes a promise to return, returns to Zion to fulfill his, his purpose. I should say, not promise. He makes he returns to Zion to fulfill his purpose. As we look at uh, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 1. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets, Thus said the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnants of this people in, this, in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. This shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Now we find, <coughs> excuse me, that this chapter 8 happens after you might call a, a blast of, of justice that God's going to return to them. He has promised he's going to return to them and to be, be their God. They're going to be his people. If you look at Isaiah 4 and verse 4, reference here, when the Lord has washed away the, the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. The King James, I think, references their idea of a blast of justice. That is, the Lord's going to purge out uh, sin and going to bring wrath upon those who have been doing sin, as we saw back in chapter 7. But in chapter 8, as we look here, he's, he's pictured as returning to, uh, to Zion to fulfill his purpose. As you find there in, in uh, Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 3, which says, I will return to Zion, I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Now, Jehovah will protect the faithful. We find here in verses 7 and 8 that there is a threefold promise that is made. He says he will save his people from the east country and from the west country. Some say to the east and the west. It's simply the idea that he's going to, to protect them from any threat that may come from anywhere in the world, east or east country or the west country. 
So he will save his people from the east country and from the west country. And second, having saved them, he will bring them and they will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. That's the second part of that promise. And third, the relationship of Jehovah with his people would be sustained only on a basis of truth and righteousness. So he will save his people from the east and from the west, uh, from those countries, and then he will bring them and they will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And third, their relationship with Jehovah and with his people will be sustained and based on truth and righteousness. He will deal with them uh, on the basis and uh, with this basis, not in their relationship be based upon uh, the idea that God will keep his part of the covenant and they must keep theirs. And so as they must be loyal, if, when they are loyal to him, uh, he will be loyal uh, to them as well in return. So again, their relationship is based upon truth and righteousness. In reality, that hasn't changed still today. If we want God to bless us and be with us, we have to be loyal to him. And so nothing has changed still even today. Next, we want to notice verses 9 through verse 13, looking at how Jehovah encourages them uh, to hear the prophets in verses 9 uh, through verse 13 of Zechariah chapter 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who have been you who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, who spoke in the day of, of the who spoke in the, in the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts, that the temple might be built. For before these days there was there were there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. For I, for I set all men, every, everyone, against his neighbor. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And so we back up here just a moment. We find, first of all, that those who hear the words of the prophets of God will be made strong. He says there in verse uh, 9, let your hands be strong. You have been hearing in these days. Those who have been hearing, and he's made specifically there the word, these words by the mouth of the prophets, those are the ones whose hands will be strong, meaning they're the ones who's going to be blessed by God. Only those who hear the words of the prophets, who no doubt spoke, as we know, uh, uh, by on behalf of God and God speaking through them. And so they're going to be blessed because they are those who have been hearing the prophets. We find here in verse uh, 10, he says, here, for, for before these days there were no ages for man nor any hire for beast. He goes on to talk about the idea that before these things there were no blessings from God. There was, God was not allowing any of these things to be prosperous or to come of any benefit. But for those we find here in verse uh, 11 and following, he says here, I will not treat the remnant of this people. That remnant is a reference to those who have remained faithful. A remnant also is a reference to a small group. He says, I will not treat this remnant uh, of this people as in the former days, says Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, meaning they're, they're going to be blessed. He has, just as he has promised punishment in time past because of sin, and now he's promising good. He's promising blessings in verse 11 and 12. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. Oftentimes when God is punishing those who have gone off into wickedness, those who have betrayed God and walked away, one of the things he does many times 
is he makes their labor difficult. That is, he, he causes their, their efforts to come to almost completely nothing at all. But here in verse 12, it is the reverse. He's not going to treat them as he has in the former days. So we see there in verse 11. So as a result, in verse 12, their seed will be prosperous. Their vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase. And the heavens shall give their due. And so God, just as he promised wrath in the times in the past, now he promises them blessings. He will bless them as he once did, as we find there in verse 11 in the former days. The curse that had rested upon them would now be removed from this day forward. As we look at Haggai chapter 2 and verse 19, we find the same idea. Uh, that should have been there. Uh, Haggai 2 and verse 19, the idea there is from this day I will bless you. Haggai 2 and verse 19, the latter part of verse 19 talks about that. Very same idea. From this day forward, I will bless you. So from the day they come back to God, it's the day their blessings begin anew. Haggai 2 and verse 19. <clears throat> Next, we want to notice here uh, verse uh, 13. This is why Haggai was on there, not on there yet. Yeah, stopped too soon. Verse 13 says, It shall come to pass that just as you are a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. And so, again, a reference to them listening to the prophets. And because they're listening to the prophets, their hands are going to be strong. They're going to be blessed. And then we find there now Haggai 2 verse 19 that from that time forward, they would be blessed from God. Looking next at Haggai, or excuse me, not Haggai, but Zechariah chapter 8 and verses 14 through 23, we find Jehovah brings both wrath and blessings. As you look at uh, Zechariah chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, Jehovah now, he fulfilled his word of wrath, now he fulfills his word of good. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as, as I determined to punish you when, you were, when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in these days, I'm determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear there in verse 15. So God was determined to punish them for their sin in the past. And now he's determined to do good for them. God is a keeper of his word. He promised that he would punish them because of their sin. Now he's promising he will do good to them. As we find here in verses 14 and 15. And they are told to do what is good and right in verses 16 and 17. These are the things you shall do, he says. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give, give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath. For all these, things, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. And so he first promises them that he's going to do good to them. And then he says in verse 16 and 17 that they are to do good as well. And he mentions several things there in verses 16 and 17 as a reference to doing good. Speaking truth, judgment with truth, justice, and peace. Not thinking evil in your heart against your neighbor. Not loving a false oath. Not, as you find there in the verse 17, basically not loving anything or following anything that the Lord hates. In verses 18 and following, we find the answer about fasting is given in verses 18 through 23. This goes back to chapter 7. You remember the question about fasting. Should they keep uh, fasting in certain months? Back in chapter 7, verses 1 and following. 
But here in Zechariah 8, beginning in verse 18, And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast. For the house of Jehovah, or excuse me, for the house of Judah, rather, therefore, love, truth, and peace. And so they were to do what? They were to continue doing those, those feasts. We find, you remember back in just a moment ago, the reason why the Lord is now wanting uh, these feasts to continue because he is coming back to them. They are going to do what is good, what is right. We saw in verses uh, 16 and 17. And as a result, they are to hold these fasts there in verse 19 with joy and gladness and cheerfulness. There in verse uh, 19, it shall be uh Shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. As we continue reading there in verse, in verse uh, 18, 18, 19, and 20. But 18 and 19 here, they are to continue fast. But as we saw back in chapter 7, it must be with sincerity. It must be with, with gladness and joy and cheerfulness. I think you're thinking about sometimes coming to a worship service and maybe if we're not careful, our heart really just isn't in it. Maybe we sing praises to God and we're not really thinking about what we're singing. Maybe we're, the prayer is offered, we're not really paying much attention to those words. That's the idea that we find here in verse 19. We're not to be like that. They were not to be like that. They're to be joyous and have gladness and cheerfulness about these things. And then we find in verse 20 through 23, to the end of the chapter there, we find that others will come because of God clearly being with the people. If you look at verse 20 through verse 23, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. Now, peoples is a reference to many different types of peoples there in verse 20. Inhabitants of many cities, meaning from various places there in verse 20. Verse 21, The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. And so the Jews, the Jew who once was cursed and despised by many, pressed by all, will be sought after as a means of reaching uh, God. Again, we find God's people here they're going to, because of their actions, because of their lifestyles, perhaps because of their words as well, people are going to be drawn to God. You back up to verse 20 there again. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall, shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. That is people from all different areas. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Don't you wish we hear people say those types of things today? I'm going to go. My neighbors are going to go. We're all going to go. To do what? To be with, we would say today, to be with the church, right? Well, here they're going to, to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts there in verse 21. Verse 22, yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. It would be quite encouraging today, wouldn't it, to have someone grab a hold of you and say, where do you attend? Because I want to go where you're going. 
That's basically the idea we found there in verse 23, isn't it? We want to go wherever you're going because we have heard about your God. And that's that was the idea there in verse 20, uh, 20 through 23. They wanted to go to be where God is, to seek after him. More and more pagans come to recognize the emptiness of their idolatry, the emptiness of false gods, and they turned to Jehovah. That's what we find in verse 20 through 23. Now, Zechariah chapter 8, as a whole, is a reminder of what happens, what is possible when God is with the faithful. We find that no doubt they are blessed. No doubt their, their seed shall prosper, all those different types of things that's mentioned there. But also their influence is such that draws people to want to know more about, not, not them in particular, but more about God. You think about that phrase there in verse 23. In those days, ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you. Let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. It's always encouraging to talk to individuals who are sincere and who sincerely want to know what the truth is. And that's what we have a glimpse of here in verse 23. Some lessons for us to think about today. Jehovah blesses those who embrace him in obedience. God is pictured in chapter 8 as returning to the people. You think about that, he returns to them, which means at some point he was not dwelling among them. And we know that because, as we saw there in chapter 8, he references how they had, how he had promised to bring wrath against them, and he had done that, and now he's promising to bring uh, blessings to them. And so if you return to someone, that indicates that you weren't always with them. Now, we understand that God was not with them because they had actually departed from God. God did not actually leave. They had actually left God. And now they're coming back together. God is pictured, he is pictured here, however, as returning to the people, returning to Zion and to Jerusalem. If you go back there and look at Zechariah uh, chapter 8, and you look at verse 3, this isn't on the screen, but Zechariah 8 verse 3 says, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain which means he's going to restore all that is good, all that is righteous, all that is truth to Jerusalem and to those people who are obedient to him. By their returning, by their return to him in obedience, God returns to the people. God is God to those who obey him just as he is the enemy of the wicked who rebel against him. God is only the God of those who are obedient to him. You know, just because you think about this room, just because God has done so much for mankind doesn't mean that mankind is going to automatically be able to benefit from those things because we know obedience is a requirement. Just because Christ died on the cross does not mean everyone gets to go to heaven. Just because uh, these people were God's chosen people doesn't mean they're going to get to go to heaven because they still have to be obedient. You think about it, Israel was punished repeatedly, were they not? I mean, that's what most of the Old Testament is about, isn't it? 
God correcting them, correcting them, correcting them, blessing them, no doubt, many times as well. But he corrected them over and over and over again. So God is God to those who obey him, just as he is the enemy of the wicked who rebel against him. God also keeps his word about all things, including punishments and blessings. He keeps his word about all things. You think about how many times God had promised that he was going to bring his wrath upon the wicked, his wrath upon uh, those who, who were uh, rebellious against him, those who were stiff-necked, and the list goes on and on and on, and how every single time he did just that. He poured out his wrath upon them. But also, as, as, just as God has made that promise, he's also promised to bring blessings to those who are obedient. Think about this for a second. God never tolerates wickedness because the rebellious never go unpunished. The rebellious never go unpunished. You think for a second, going all the way back to the book of Genesis with Noah and the flood, and how many people perished during that time. When the, when the ark was closed, and the, water, and the rain began to ascend, and all those things began to happen, the water came upon the earth, how many people died during that time? You know, I don't know the exact number, but it's safe to say there was a lot of people who did not get on that get, get inside the ark, right? The Bible tells us there was like eight souls that were saved by water. Does it not tell us that God hates wickedness, that he will not tolerate it? You think about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains and all those people who died because God would not tolerate sin. Then the list goes on and on, doesn't it? We find numerous times where sometimes a mass number of people are killed because of their wickedness. And those are just two examples. We know various battles that would ensue where God's chosen people would conquer the wicked people of various lands because God wanted the, the righteous to prevail and the wicked to fail. And they did just that. Just as God promised, uh, promised punishment to the wicked, he promised blessings to the obedient. You know, the New Testament tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of life from whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, which tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every blessing, every good thing that comes in our life is a result of God blessing us, for the Christian anyway. We know we understand sometimes good things happen to those who are not obedient. But friends, there are certain blessings, spiritual blessings, that belong only to the Christian. Is that not right? You know, the disobedient may be able to be blessed or to be fortunate enough, I shouldn't say blessed, fortunate enough to have a well-paying job and provide for their families. Is that worldly person promised heaven just because they have those things? No, God's faithful servant, while he may not be blessed in the same way, he is blessed in a different way. You know, just because we say God's faithful servant is not blessed in the same way, that's not a bad thing, is it? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us every all spiritual blessings are in Christ. Spiritual blessings are in Christ, which tells us all those who are outside of Christ have no take, no part in those spiritual blessings. So God has promised blessings to the obedient. Those blessings that are exclusive to being a faithful servant of His. And as we close this evening, 
We think about Zechariah chapter 8. We think about this promise to return. You go back and look at Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. Those should have been extremely encouraging words for those people to hear, isn't it? I am returning to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Well, that means, you know, think about all the things that were possible with God being present that were not possible before. Doesn't it, doesn't the possibilities of God for the people of Israel, well, it's possible, doesn't go beyond <coughs> grain and water and these, these <coughs> daily requirements? Doesn't the blessings from God go beyond that? You go back and look at, for example, Joshua. What happened the first time they went up to Ai? Do you remember? Did they go with God's approval? No. The first time they failed. They didn't ask God. They didn't pray about it. I was saying, basically, they didn't make no inquiry whatsoever. They just said, hey, we've been all these other cities. Let's just go on up to this one. And they failed. They failed. They ended up running away, looking like a horrible, weak little army because God was not with them. And they looked that way because that's what they were without God. They were a weak little army. But when God was with them, we know the Bible tells us he rebuked them and then God was with them. What happened next? They didn't just beat Ai. Do you remember? They conquered Ai and several cities after that. They actually kind of went on. They just a rush of victory, 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 victory because God was with them. And so when you read those words, I will return to Zion, I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, those should have been encouraging words because with God, literally anything was possible. Just this morning, as we talked about there with, uh, you know, the, the gods, the false god Ashtoreth, we've talked about how God thundered and scared basically all the Philistines, right? And they were all confused. God did that, right? So if he wasn't there, that would have been possible. We also know numerous occasions where God would have, the people of Israel have a massive army, for instance. God told, told them, remember, he told them to dwindle your army down to 300 because you have to make it very clear that I'm the one giving the victory. And 300 will end up against thousands, right? And they had the victory. The Christian would do well to remember the blessings lost in disobedience and the triumph we have over sin when we are loyal to God. Notice there, those are conditions, are they not? The triumph we have over sin when we are loyal to God. You know, so many things in our life, and this isn't always the case because sometimes life is just hard, as we sometimes say, and we have to deal with the difficulties that come. But sometimes if we're honest, I think a lot of the times if we're honest, the difficulties we face is because we're not very loyal to God. We're not faithful to Him as we should be. You know, the reason why Israel had so many struggles is because they struggled to remain loyal to God. If they had never stepped out of line, and we understand this is not possible because mankind can make whatever choices they want. But they had never stepped out of line with God and always followed his word to the, to the letter. What would have happened? They would have never saw defeat, would they? They would have saw instead blessings which they probably would, had never even dreamed of seeing. 
and just an expressway basically to the promised land. But because they're human, just like we are, they made mistakes, and so the road became a little bit longer. On one occasion, it became 40 years longer, didn't it? Because God didn't just express them to the promised land. No, he taught them what it meant to be obedient all along the way. And in Zechariah's time, it was the same thing. If you're going to have blessings of God, you have to be obedient. You think about the, the minor prophets. In the major prophets, you know, they're, they're, they have some of the same similar problems as we see here. And it's the same problems we still see today. The lack of faithfulness to God, punishment, and God bringing them back. We think about how many times we see that, but do we always see people come back to God? It doesn't always happen, does it? In the Bible, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't definitely doesn't always happen today when we try to reach out to people. They don't always come back to God. But we think about, we go back one last time, look at this final verse again in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3. He will return to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And then look what happens as a result. Jerusalem should be called the city of truth. The city of truth. Because why? Because God is there. The mountain of the Lord of hosts and the holy mountain. Why? Because the Lord is returning. He returned to Zion, he says there in chapter 8. We think about what this means for us today. If we have shortcomings in our own lives, we have areas in which we need to correct. We need to make sure that we are first honest with ourselves, humble enough to recognize where we have fallen short, and through obedience, allow God to return to his rightful place in our own lives. You can think about Zechariah chapter 8, that's what it's about, isn't it? Returning to where he needed to be, which was at the forefront of their lives in every single way. And as a result, they would be tremendously blessed. This evening, as you think about these things, if we can help you or encourage you in any way, we'd love to do so. That's good. We stay and sing the song that's been selected.